Hi, and welcome to Wolfpack Radio. This is your host, Hurricane Ann, and I am so happy to have you tune in tonight for this very special episode titled, Important, The Port of Long Beach's Deep Secret. I'm so excited about the show tonight. I have uncovered some information on the Port of Long Beach that's going to blow your mind. But before we continue, please take a moment to like, share, and subscribe. Due to the censorship on conservatives, most citizen journalists like myself are jailed, shadow banned, or completely banned. Our stories are buried and our subscribers are unsubscribed. The only way for us to get our word out is by having our followers share our link. Now to the story. In this video, I will expose the deepest secret our government has ever kept from us. I have done a lot of research on Long Beach, and in this video, I have compiled compelling documents and never before seen photographs. You will soon learn that every truth you previously thought about Long Beach is a lie. Trust me when I say the history of Long Beach is pretty crazy, and not just because of politics or the smuggling of drugs, weapons, and child trafficking. Many people believe a portal to another dimension exists there and there are reports of Long Beach being haunted. Long Beach also has connections with UFOs, ancient underground cities, and even Indian beliefs that this is the sacred location of actual human creation. Fasten your seatbelts for this exciting journey. I wasn't even sure how to explain everything where it makes sense, so I'm just going to start at the beginning of my journey. It all started in Australia. I took my daughter, Alley Cat, to Australia to visit my friends for the month of November 2018. While we were there, my best mate, Beverly, was telling me how furious she was that Australia had sold a lot of infrastructure to China, including ports. I thought it was odd that a foreign country could buy a port. I had to wonder, I mean, how did communist China purchase a port in Australia? I mean, seriously, why would a country do that? My spider senses were tingling, and I knew I had to get some answers, so I decided to research it when I got home from vacation, and that's exactly what I did. The first place I looked was at qmap.pub to see what Q had dropped on the topic, and also to see what tweets POTUS had. The qmap shows both. I found 14 combined posts using the word port. 10 were Q posts, and 4 were tweets from POTUS. One of the older drops was QDrop1203 from April 20th, 2018. And it immediately caught my attention because I live in Texas and it talked about the Mexican border. Q said, why is the Mexican border and Long Beach port so important? Long Beach? Hmm. I noticed Q had mentioned Long Beach again and dropped 1445 on June 10th, 2018, implying that child trafficking could be traced to exports and imports using the China, Mexico, and Long Beach ports. Hmm. There was Long Beach again. On April 18, 2019, Q dropped 3313, which showed a picture of the port of Long Beach. The post said, first and 10 on the 40. Long Beach again. Well, third time's the charm. I knew I couldn't ignore this rabbit hole anymore, and I knew I had to dive right in, and boy did I ever. Researching the drop, I found out that the port of Long Beach was owned by China's shipping giant, Costco. I also found out that Costco also owned 100% of the West Basin Container Terminal at the Port of Los Angeles, which it acquired by mer merger in January 2016. While I was digging around about China, I revisited qmap.pub and searched for ports again. I ran across a POTUS tweet that caught my attention. It was dated April 6, 2019, 12 days before Q's pick of Long Beach. The tweet said, 
We have redeployed 750 agents at the southern border's specific ports of entry in order to help with the large-scale surge of illegal migrants trying to make their way into the United States. This will cause traffic and commercial delays until such time as Mexico is able to use its powerful common-sense immigration laws to stop illegals from coming through Mexico into the U.S. and removing them back to their country of origin. Until Mexico cleans up this ridiculous and massive migration, we'll be focused on border security, not ports of entry. Hmm, ports of entry. That made me think. Q is always saying, learn double meanings. And he always says, everything has meaning. Was POTUS talking strictly about Mexican ports of entry in the second part? Could POTUS really be saying that we have took care of the major problems at the port of Long Beach, so now we can focus on the Mexican border problem? Q did, after all, post a pic of the port of Long Beach and implied the White Hats were fixing to get a touchdown. He talked about an operation and dropped 753 on February 13th where he said, Think image drop. Think op. Think united. Could the POTUS tweets and the Q drops be related? A few days later, on May 7, 2019, my hunch was confirmed about the POTUS and Q proof when headlines said the Trump administration was forcing China to sell the Port of Long Beach based on security concerns. I was so happy to hear this. This was a huge move by our president. And by the end of this video, you will understand just exactly how huge a move it actually was. China is not only the biggest threat to America, but also to the world. I exposed their blueprint for world domination in my last video titled China, The Real Game of Thrones. If you haven't seen it yet, please check it out. I have included a link in the video description. Like I said, this was a huge move by our president, and it was not a move cheered on by most of our government nor China. In my research, I discovered that the deep state has been knee-deep with the port of Long Beach and with China. In order to explain this involvement where you can get the whole picture, I need to paint the entire picture, and to do that, we have to go back in time and revisit the history of Long Beach. In ancient times, Long Beach and the surrounding regions were the home of the Gabrielino Indians. Nowadays, they're just referred to as the Tongva Indians. Much of the early history of the Gabrielinos was not recorded, but researchers have conducted many comprehensive scientific studies, and they have included all aspects of the tribe, including studying their culture, studying their dialect, taking cranial measurements, doing DNA sampling, and archaeological finds. And they have concluded that the evidence suggests they are descended from a Uto-Aztecan-speaking people who originated in what is now Nevada and the Sonoran Desert. And they believe they moved southwest into coastal Southern California some 3,500 years ago. These migrants were not the first natives in that area, and it is believed they either absorbed or pushed out the Tacit-speaking tribe of Kish, who were thought to have lived in the area for thousands of years prior to the Gabrielinos migrating there. In my research, I found a very strange custom by the Gabrielinos, which was when an important person died, a piece of their flesh from his or her shoulder was eaten. The person that ate it was supposed to gain some of the deceased power, while the deceased was assured of a quick passage to the heavens to become a star. Now this was in contrast to ordinary people who when they died went underground and danced and feasted forever. I also discovered that the Gabrielinos traded goods with people in many different directions. Archaeologists have found evidence of this with various tribes in other parts of California, the Mojave, and as far east as central Arizona and even in the southwest in the Pueblo sites. 
and intermarriage was common with the Gabrielinos and acceptable. And it was probably made easier with the fact that they met all these other different people while trading. The Gabrielinos were a large tribe and it's estimated they had up to 10,000 members. And they had lots of villages all located near water. One such location is called Pavunga. Pavunga is considered a sacred spot to the Gabrielinos. They believe it is the place of emergence and it is where they believe the creation of the world and their lives began. Their god's name was Chingishnish, who is sometimes called Quayor, and they believed he created the world out of chaos, fixing it upon the shoulders of seven giants created for this purpose. Following this, they believe he created the animals and then the humans of the earth, and then he descended into the earth. They believed that Chingishnish created a demigod named Waywat, who was the god of the sky. And Waywat ruled over the people. He was not a loved god. He was detested because he was mean and a tyrannical ruler. Waywat had sons, and his sons turned on him because of his cruel ways. They acquired poison and they killed him. After Waywat was murdered, the tribe met at Pavunga to discuss how they would survive. While they were gathered, all of them had a collective vision of a phantom who said he was their greater chief, Chingishnish. He gave a great speech in which he said that Waywat's murder had brought death into the world and tipped the balance of the world. He said he came back to restore the order. Chingishnish delegated powers and responsibilities to certain persons that he called shamans. He also created a new race of people out of mud and he instructed them on the new ways of life. Following this, Chingishnish began to dance and slowly ascend into heaven. In 1520 and 1602, Spanish explorers visited the area and met the friendly Gabrielino. Oddly enough, they described the tribe as being a race which was genetically stable, physically hard, and attuned to the conditions of their environment. For a short period of time, they were considered by the Spanish as a special race of white Indians because of their light skin color. In 1769, there was another expedition and the explorers brought white man's disease with them which quickly began decimating the population of the Gabrielinos. It did not take long for this huge tribe to become scarce in numbers. The mission San Gabriel was opened in 1771 and the natives were forced to do slave labor and assimilate. The ones that ran away were hunted down and killed. The military and the church had conflict as they fought over the Indians who they wanted for labor. The natives tried to revolt, but they did not succeed. Instead, they just became more segregated. By then, most of the tribe was missionized, dead, or had fled to other areas. This vicious cycle continued, and the white man had no respect for the natives, nor the right to their land. Before long, there were so few Gabrielinos left that they weren't even considered a passing thought. Today, California State University of Long Beach resides on the sacred site of Pavunga. The actual spring is called Pavunga Spring, and it's located near the Earl Burns Miller Japanese Garden on the campus near a now channelized creek only a short walking distance from the Port of Long Beach and the Pacific Ocean. The students of the university say the land is haunted and that an eerie fog often appears out of nowhere, and when the fog appears, the temperature will change dramatically. They claim to see ghostly figures and can hear native chanting and drums beating. They also specifically say they are very creeped out because they strongly feel like someone or something is watching them. Many people believe that the energy from this ancient site still lingers, and some people believe there is a portal to another dimension there. I personally began to wonder if this was true when I saw the huge pyramid that CSU had built on the site. 
I found the pyramid extremely interesting, especially since it was built at the location where a portal allegedly is believed to exist. And if that's not creepy enough, one has to wonder, what were the city managers trying to tell us when they planned the city of Long Beach? If you use Google Earth, you can plainly see images of portals plus the sun, the moon, and planets built into the ground all over the city, particularly near the port. This one looks like time travel to other planets. And this strange picture reminds me of CERN. If you haven't researched CERN, you should. CERN has a statue in front of its building of the god Shiva. I couldn't help but notice the similarities between Shiva and Chingishnish. Shiva is the god of chaos and Chingishnish created the world from chaos. Shiva is also called the Lord of Dance. The rhythm of dance is a metaphor for the balance of the universe which Shiva is believed to hold so masterfully. Chingishnish is also in charge of the balance of the universe. If we recall, after Waywat was murdered, Chingishnish appeared at Pavanga and said the murder of Waywat had caused the earth to be unbalanced and he had come to fix it. And like Shiva, he is known for dance. And after he created the world, he began dancing and descended into the earth. And after he instructed the people at Pavanga on what they were to do, he began dancing and ascended to heaven. Another thing that I found quite interesting is, remember earlier when I told you that their creator god, Chingishnish, was also called Quayor? Well, in 2002, astronomers used the name Quayor to name a very large object in the Kuiper Belt. They named it 5000 Quayor, and they named its satellite Waywat. So let's go back in time. In 1846, during the war with Mexico, the U.S. Navy briefly established a naval base at San Pedro, but it was abandoned after the war. In 1911, everything was about transportation. The automobile was gaining popularity and traveling was so much easier. The same year, Long Beach opened a port. In 1914, Long Beach had a huge increase in jobs because the Panama Canal was complete and traffic dramatically increased along the west coast. Long Beach was the happening place. It had jobs, an amusement park, bathhouses, a beautiful beach, and fun in the sun. But by the end of the year, things began to darken as World War I began. In 1917, the United States joined the fight, and just like that, we were in war. Long Beach was lucky. Their economy remained strong because they had companies like the Long Beach Shipping Company, who built over $20 billion worth of warships for the government, including freighters and submarines. And also, the same year, the Navy returned and built a training station and a submarine base there. In 1918, more work was be, uh, to be found when the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, in conjunction with the city, dredged a 200-foot-wide channel that connected Los Angeles and the Long Beach Inner Harbor. That very same year, the war ended. By 1919, the importance of Long Beach Harbor could no longer be ignored by the U.S. Navy, and they designated Long Beach as the headquarters for its new Pacific Fleet. In my research, I found several sites that stated that by the late 1920s, the facility was specializing in service Navy auxiliary ships and was no longer a submarine base, or so they say. Was this one of our first incidents of the media reporting fake news? I have recently went to California and I interviewed several people who say otherwise. So why did the Navy lie about it no longer being a submarine base? Was it strictly for military operation security so the enemy would not know it was a submarine base? Or was something else going on? Did they discover something in the ocean while cruising around in their submarines? 
Did they discover a huge ancient entrance in the Pacific Ocean that went deep underneath Long Beach and the Los Angeles Basin? Hmm, because you know there is one. You saw the pictures that I screenshot directly from Google Earth. It is massive, and I highly doubt our military built it. I mean, they couldn't have. Think about it. So seriously, there's no way that we could have built this giant entrance. At the time that we opened the submarine base in Long Beach, we had only had cars for around seven years. So we obviously did not have the technology to build something of that magnitude. In 1921, Shell Oil struck oil in Signal Hill, and the Long Beach oil boom began. With the boom, population increased and money was flowing into Long Beach. The port was expanding to accommodate the increasing demands, and by then, 3,000 servicemen were stationed at the naval base. Homes, businesses, and hotels were rapidly built, as well as infrastructure, including a big airport. Long Beach just kept growing, and there seemed to be no stopping it. That is, until the stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression, which followed, which definitely took its toll on Long Beach. Hotels closed, businesses slowed down, tourist attractions closed down because people didn't have the money for tourism. And then, to make it worse, in 1933, a huge 6.4 magnitude earthquake rocked Long Beach's foundation and caused major loss and devastation. In 1936, things started looking up for Long Beach. Oil was struck again near the harbor, and the first permanent naval base opened on Terminal Island. The naval base increased the strong presence of the defense industry, but it also helped boost the economy, as did the oil. In 1939, World War II was declared, so it is no surprise to see Long Beach tighten up its defenses. In 1941, the Roosevelt Naval Base Shipyard and Hospital were constructed, plus an 8.9-mile breakwater, which created 30 square miles of protected anchorage and effectively eliminated the surf and sand in Long Beach. They sacrificed recreation for safe anchorage. The construction of a new production plant by Douglas Aircraft Company boosted local defense industry even more. It struck me as odd that this huge aircraft facility, which had 18 buildings, but not one single building had a window in it. None could be found. It really makes me wonder what they were really constructing within this 242-acre facility. Later that year, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and Long Beach's home port battleship, the Arizona, and crew were lost. As you all know, because of the attack on Pearl Harbor, America had no choice but to enter the war. Three months after that, in early 1942, a very extremely interesting and controversial event occurred that involved Long Beach. You may have heard of it. It is now referred to as the Battle of Los Angeles. The News of the World, Wednesday, February 25th. Once again, Columbia's correspondents in world capitals and in the fighting zones in the Western Pacific are ready to give you the latest news direct by shortwave radio. And now for news of our own West Coast, we take you to Los Angeles and the report of Byron Palmer. Anti-aircraft guns went into action against unidentified aircraft in the Los Angeles area shortly after 3 a.m. Pacific wartime this morning. The anti-aircraft guns began barking during a blackout ordered by the 4th Interceptor Command at 2.25 a.m. The unidentified object, which some sources thought might be a blimp, moved slowly down the Pacific coast from Santa Monica and disappeared south of Long Beach. Army officials declined to comment on the possibility that the object might have been a blimp. However, it required nearly 30 minutes to travel some 25 miles 
far slower than an airplane. Watchers on the rooftop of the Columbia Broadcasting Building in the heart of Hollywood could plainly see the flashes of guns and searchlights sweeping the skies in a wide arc along the coastal area. Concussion of the shells could be felt in downtown Los Angeles, 15 miles away. U.S. Army planes quickly took to the dark skies, but whether they contacted the object has not been announced. Army officials say they will not comment until they receive a full report of the action. Although some watchers say they saw airplanes in the air, semi-official sources say they probably were the U.S. Army's pursuit. Several observers say they saw one or more planes spotlighted by 20 or 30 searchlights. The object moved southward, presumably over Huntington Park at the western edge of Los Angeles, and on southward to about Long Beach on the coast. By 3.30 a.m., observers said the object appeared to be over the south of Long Beach. Searchlights closely followed the object down the coast and kept it centered in their glare. Shells frequently could be seen bursting near the object, but none appeared to hit it. The shooting stopped about 3.30 a.m. The shooting brought warfare to the front door of this city of a million and a quarter population for the first time since December 7th. Already, it was alert to the presence off the Southern California coast of a Japanese submarine which had pumped 25 shells into an oil field north of Santa Barbara Monday evening. Because of the presence of the submarine, a three-hour alert was ordered at dusk last night, and civilian authorities stood at their posts while the Army and Navy continued their search for the submersible. The evening alert ended at 10.23 p.m., but another was sounded at 2.22 a.m., and the blackout followed within three minutes. It covered Los Angeles County from Santa Monica to Pomona. At 2.27, all Southern California radio stations were ordered off the air, except those in San Diego. Approximately 20 minutes after the firing died down, the ship returned and headed westward from Long Beach toward Santa Monica. The guns went into action again, hurling round after round of shells at the object. The second barrage appeared to be closer to downtown Los Angeles since watchers could hear the concussion of the guns more clearly and the flash of bursting shells was brighter. Then the ship disappeared for the second time over the ocean. We return you now to CBS in New York. So, a large UFO was spotted traveling down the coast and disappeared near the port of Long Beach. Hmm, I wonder where it disappeared to. The Great Depression had took its toll on everyone, including the people in Los Angeles. And Los Angeles was actually just a few miles down the road from Long Beach. In 1933, a geophysical engineer named G. Warren Shufelt invented a radio x-ray machine. He began to use this device all over LA. Shufelt said he had discovered what appeared to be a well-planned underground labyrinth with large rooms located at various points and deposits of gold in the chambers. He felt that some of the tunnels ran west for 20 miles under the Santa Monica Bay and he believed that those were used for ventilation. He said he had mapped out the course of the tunnels and the rooms and the position of the gold, but he could not understand the meaning of it at all. Things made a lot more sense to Shufield after he met a Hopi Indian named L. Macklin, who is also known as Chief Little Greenleaf. 
Macklin told she felt that the Hopi Indians of northern Arizona have traditions that recall a time when their snake brothers built and occupied a total of 13 underground cities stretching over Arizona, California, Mexico, and Central America. Three such underworld cities were believed to have been built on the west coast near the Pacific Ocean, one of them thought to be built under Los Angeles, California. Macklin told she felt that four to five thousand years ago, an enormous meteor shower fell on the western coast, covering an area of hundreds of miles wide. Thousands of people were killed, their crops were wiped out, dwellings were destroyed, and the forests were set on fire. The surviving members of the Medicine Lodge, which had remained on the west coast, met to make plans for constructing safe areas to save the people and protect a trove of golden tablets that chronicled the tribe's history, the origin of humankind, and the story of the world back to creation. The tribe called themselves the Lizard People. The legend states that Hopi did not build the city with picks and shovels. Instead, they used an advanced chemical that they could pour on the bedrock and the chemical would bore the tunnels. And then the chemical would drain into the ocean where the tunnels actually began. Part of the city was under the ocean and consists of many small portals. As the tide washed in and out, it would force air into the upper tunnel which provided ventilation, and it also cleansed and sanitized the lower tunnels. The legend says that the sentinels of the sky gave the Hopi the warning when it was time to enter the shelters and when to seal the shafts behind them. They were literally forced to go underground to survive the giant meteor shower which devastated most of the west coast. Macklin said that the rooms she felt had discovered were connected to the older ruins of an even greater city, which was covered by the Pacific Ocean thousands of years ago during a tremendous earthquake and subsequent flood. He felt the subterranean complex that she felt discovered was used only for emergencies and was only designed to accommodate about 5,000 people. And he felt that this would just be a place to go underground until it was safe to come back to the surface. This really made sense to Sheffield, and he believed Macklin, so they got a permit to sink a shaft into the ruins of the underground city. On February 21st, the permit to search for lost treasure was granted by the city of L.A., as long as the property was left as is, and 50% of all the treasure went to the city. Well, that was a pretty good deal, because you have to remember, this was during the Depression, and how could they say no to this permit when they might possibly be able to get all this revenue for the city at a time when the city was desperately hurting for money. Well, Shufeld worked for months and he finally broke into the underground city and found that water had seeped into some of the tunnels and several of the rooms were flooded, including the largest. Shufeld was prepared to send in divers. Well, this started getting a lot of media attention and an article was published January 29, 1934 titled Lizard People's Catacomb City Hunted. There were also updates on the project being published by several newspapers. Shortly after all the media attention was focused on the search, the project was suddenly and mysteriously stopped and completely abandoned. By March 5, 1934, the shafts had been filled and the contract with the city was canceled. And most articles say she felt just seemed to disappear. Now, she felt wasn't the only modern California who believed that an ancient underground city lay beneath Los Angeles. Miss Edith Eldon Robinson of Pico Rivera was a clairvoyant which appeared in the highly respected American Society for Psychic Research Journal. On the evening of December 22, 1933, five weeks before Shufeld's excavations hit the pages of the Times, witnesses say Miss Robinson envisioned that under Los Angeles lay a vast city and mammoth tunnels extending to the seashore. 
She said the tunnels had been constructed by a vanished race to protect themselves from danger and to provide access from the sea. And before we continue, first of all, I just want to apologize if I have any problems with the sound control. I have a new microphone and it's a little bit touchy, so just bear with me. I also want to apologize for any of the words that I have slaughtered. Being from Texas, I have quite an accent and sometimes I am known to mispronounce some words and you don't have to send me a thousand messages. Just one will be enough. Thank you. So I'm not claiming that I know exactly who built these subterranean uh, cities or when they were built, but I do have a good hypothesis based on the research that I've done. Let's make sense of what we know. A meteor definitely hit Winslow, Arizona sometime between 5,000 and 50,000 years ago. So a meteor did hit, just like the stories say. And also, both the Gabrielino and the Hopi say that the surviving male members of the Medicine Lodge met to decide how to keep the rest of their tribe safe. We also know that Ching Ishnish tells the Gabrielino what to eat and how to survive. Now, the legend doesn't tell us that the Hopi's God advised them, but since they say the Sentinels of the Sky told them when to go into the ground and shut the hatch, I think it's safe to say that a deity did advise them. In my research, I have uh, discovered different sources, and they all state different times when the Gabrielino were supposed to be in the Los Angeles Basin in the Long Beach area. I got a range of up to 6,000 BC to 1,500 BC. The original language and most of the history of this tribe has been lost, and so accounts are different with every source. I have read notes from modern-day Gabrielinos who state they've not absorbed the Kish population. They claim they are the original Kish. One thing that does seem very possible is that the Gabrielinos and the Hopi both went underground at the same time since both tribes had just survived a huge meteor strike. I don't know if the Hopi went into the subterranean city in Los Angeles or one of the other 12 subterranean cities that allegedly exist. I also don't know if the cities connect underground in any way, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But because the Gabrielinos say Chingishnish created another race of people called the Mud People, I have to assume that the Mud People are the Hopi. Now, we don't know how long they were underground, but it was obviously a long time. It is a good chance that the original generation of Hopi and the Gabrielino died underground before they could come out, just like Moses died before he got out of the promised land, or got to the promised land. As you know, the Gabrielino said that ordinary people go into the ground and die. They dance and feast for eternity. When Chingishnish created the world, he danced and descended into the earth, just like the Hopi who went into the earth. Many Southwestern Native American Indians believe that they came from the ground and it would pretty much be true if this happened in this manner. Another well-known Hopi claim is that the ant people took them underground to help them survive a cataclysm. Anu means ant in Hopi and Naki means friend. So ant people are the Anunnaki. The Anunnaki say they have flying aircraft in their written records. So I'll assume that the Anunnaki are also the sentinels of the sky. And more than likely, the phantom the Gabrielinos call the Chingishnish. I also think the demigod that the Gabrielino referred to as Waywat is referring to the meteor. Waywat was the god of the sky, and the meteor came from the sky. Waywat and the meteor were both cruel to the people, and the meteor died when it hit the earth, and Waywat died. The meteor caused the earth to be unbalanced, as did the death of Waywat. Now, the Hopi are obviously familiar with the sky gods and had access to advanced knowledge of the sky as shown by the locations of all their villages lined up with all the major stars of the Orion constellation, just like the pyramids. 
It has also been noted that their cave petroglyphs match up with modern star charts and constellation patterns. They also show spaceships, aliens, and portals. I'm sure these underground advanced cities were made by the Anunnaki. Obviously, the Hopi nor the Gabrielino did not know about the subterranean cities or they would have been using them when the meteor hit. How could either one of these tribes write or read the golden tablets with their entire history of origin on them? They obviously did not have a written language as evidence is shown in the petroglyphs. The Anunnaki had a huge library of written records including a set of seven tablets that are said to have had the origin and the history of mankind on them. Now as far as different names, ant people, snake people, reptile people, this could have been a translation error that has been passed down through the centuries. What we do know is that the pics that I got from Google Earth along with Shufeld's map matched the subterranean city exactly as it was told to Shufeld by the Hopi chief and also as described by the psychic Miss Edith Robinson. Now whether there's an actual connection between the Gabrielinos, Hopi, and ancient Sumerians or not, it does give one pause in realizing how similar the creation stories are. Now, taking account the legends and the cave artwork, the point is made that the ancient peoples did believe that they were led and guided by beings from another planet. What I want to know is, how long has our government known about the subterranean cities? And why did they cover it up? And what kind of illegal and unethical business did they allow to go on there? Who were the players and what was in it for them? And that's what we're going to cover now. And you're going to be surprised to see how badly our deep state sold us out. And you'll be surprised at the dirty deep state players involved, including Walt Disney. On December 29, 1988, under George H.W. Bush, the first base closure commission issued a report that recommended 145 bases were required to close or realign by September 30, 1995. This gave a lot of power to Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton as they had seven years to redistribute the bases to the highest bidder, and that's exactly what I think they did. As you all know, Long Beach was on the list, and big money players were foaming at the mouth to get access to it, including Disney. Bush Sr. had deep ties with Walt Disney, who died in 1966. In 1990, the Disney Company disclosed preliminary plans to build a 350-acre new resort theme park around the site of the Queen Mary in Long Beach. And in 1991, they released a publication detailing the new park called Port Disney and an aquatic theme park named Disney Sea. Now, I have a lot of reasons to believe that Walt knew about the subterranean city, and he may have passed this information on. One reason was because they were advertising they would have an unparalleled state-of-the-art marine laboratory research facility that would include public interaction. I believe that they knew once the city was made public, environmentalists would want to study it and also force many regulations on them. They wanted to be prepared for that. One of the main attractions of the park was the mysterious island. It's described as a place where visitors could enjoy high sea thrill rides, find the lost city of Atlantis, find buried treasure on Pirate Island, and journey through dangerous underwater caverns on Nemo's Lava Cruiser. The minute I read about the lost city of Atlantis, I knew they were talking about the reptile city and the dangerous underwater caverns. Not to mention the Nemo's lava cruiser, which is obviously a submarine. To make it even more intriguing, Port Disney and Disney Sea was to be linked by a looping monorail that looped through the park and connected the park with the hotels. The hotels are the actual location where Long Beach City planners place the word symbols in the ground of the star, moon, planets, and portals. Now, Walt Disney was known as being a Freemason, and Port Disney actually lays on the 33rd North Latitude. 
Disneyland Park is also located on the 33rd latitude and has a club named Club 33, which is located at the 33 Royal Street. And the 33rd latitude is believed to lie within the influence of the dragon energy of this imaginary line around the Earth. And numerous ancient civilizations all over the world are on this parallel. It is also believed that the 33rd parallel cities demonstrate the mysterious and pervasive connections between Masonic lore and UFOs. Looking at Disney's artwork, I can see that he also hid many symbols in it that look like portals and stargates. There have always been rumors that Walt Disney is involved in, was involved in sinister activities involving children, including the monarch programming with the CIA. It is well known that there are tunnels and suspected child trafficking associated with Disney. Many people think he was into pedophilia, and I don't doubt it. An article in December of 2017 said that 35 employees were arrested with child sex charges. And one of those was Disney Music Executive John Healy. And also one was the Vice President Michael Laney. And he got convicted of rape, child rape, and got six years. So basically Disney is just accessible for pedophiles. And they pretty much just do whatever they want to do there. Uh, it's kind of like the Vatican where they have their own jurisdiction. So they can serve alcohol. They can arrest whoever they want to without due process. And when a child goes missing, they don't even have to report that they were missing from the park. The same with the Disney Cruise Lines because it runs under maritime law. So if a child goes missing, there's different ways to report it and investigate it than if they were here in my hometown. So they kind of get a free pass for doing whatever the heck they want to do. They usually use the town that the child is from when they report a missing. It's really just sick. I'm not surprised that he would have wanted access or Disney would have wanted access to the underground tunnels and the secret city. Like I said before, I wouldn't even be surprised if the 13 cities were connected. And if they are, does that mean that Disneyland is on top of another hidden city? Hmm. Another rabbit hole for another day. Well, it didn't quite work out the way Disney planned, and their dreams of Port Long Beach were crushed. Disney did not get to build the park. It was canceled in 91 and blamed on money and problems with environmentalists. And with not being able to attain the right permits. But I don't believe that. And according to the National State Sovereignty Coalition, neither do they. They published a paper stating that Disney Productions recently learned that when you do business with China, it's China's way or you don't do business at all. And I know you're wondering, why did I bring up China all of a sudden? Well, as you see, China has its grubby little paws in everything, including our politicians' pockets. In 1993, Bill Clinton became president, and he was already owned by China. Well, China, they wanted that location, and what China wants, China gets. So Clinton strong-armed the city of Long Beach so that China got to lease this location. The Chinese deal apparently went forward without a national security review by either the CIA or the National Security Council. The White House apparently avoided normal and routine government channels in pushing the deal through. People were furious about this deal, but it didn't seem to matter. The National State Sovereignty Coalition went as far as to say that it was downright treason. And they pointed out that if China chose, they could conduct intelligent operations, import we weapons and drugs to the U.S. to further social unrest, and they could import biological weapons or nuclear weapons to the U.S. by sea. They also stated that use of the then new airport, Southern California International Airport, had declared a U.S. foreign trade zone. And if China chose, it could conduct counterintelligent operations, import weapons and drugs to the U.S. to further social unrest, and import biological and nuclear weapons to the U.S. by air. 
and while doing so they could conduct trade with little or no tariffs and avoid custom inspections. After Bill Clinton left office, the next president was Barack Obama and he too was owned by China. In 2012, the Obama administration gave China a sweetheart deal claiming it was part of the Middle Harbor Redevelopment Program. He allowed a 40-year lease to be signed with OOCL, and right after that, in July 2018, Costco bought out OOCL. Things took a dramatic turn with our next president, our beloved President Trump, and America was no longer for sale. One of the first major actions of the Trump administration's Department of Homeland Security was issuing a committee on foreign investment in the U.S., and the national security put a hold on Costco's acquisition of the former U.S. Navy port facility. The Trump administration's Department of Homeland Security has forced China's state-owned Costco to sell the port of Long Beach over security concerns. So now you know the real reason there's tension with China. It's not just tariffs. China is now denied access to the subterranean city and God only knows how many tunnels and to what they are connected to. This will put a severe damper on China's smuggling of drugs, weapons, and child trafficking. America is no longer for sale. Q. I just want to thank you so much for watching my video and for listening to my podcast at Wolfpack Radio. I want to give a special thanks to Lori Alexander, who has collaborated with me since the get-go, and I really appreciate her. She's helped me from losing my mind. And my evil twin sister, Deborah, and my roommate, Alan, who have helped me so much. I also want to give a big shout-out to my Wolfpack and to my family who have endured hours and hours for months of my research and videos. I have neglected them while I've been doing this. I haven't cooked supper. I haven't brushed my hair. It has been a wild ride, and it's not stopping anytime soon. This is such a big story that it's going to take me about 10 videos to get it all out. The next one I'm going to be doing is an in-depth look at George Bush Sr. and Walt Disney. You're not going to want to miss that. Also, I'm going to be doing one over the Reptile City and Los Angeles. You're going to love, love, love that one. So be sure and click the little bell so that you get notified for my next video. Thank you all so much. Hurricane Ann, and I'm out. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.